0: the city known for black and gold is in the yellow phase. Pittsburgh officials are here to give us the 412 on what that means for people with disabilities. I'm Jennifer Shpetta-Jordan. This is a valid podcast. Today's guests are Lindsay Powell and Hillary Roman. Lindsay is the assistant chief of staff to Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto. She focuses on economic development, as well as inclusion and equity. Hillary is the city's Americans with Disabilities Act coordinator. And not trying to outnumber our guests, we have a valid podcast analyst Elisa Grishman and Rachel Callum-Whitman, and reporter-producer Nick Tomarello. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi,
1: thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Hi, Hillary. Hey, so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We have analyst Elisa Grishman. Rachel Callum Whitman, Callum Whitman, and reporter producer Nick Tomarello on the board.
2: Great to be here. Hey everyone. Aww.
0: Thanks for inviting me back.
1: So, uh, Lindsay, let's start with you. And we've we've
0: just been with all our guests asking, like, how are you in such a weird time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all things considered, you know, I, I've been okay. I'm, I'm I continuously am very fortunate and thankful to be able to work from home. Um, I've not yet made bread, so I feel like I'm not doing quarantine <laughs> right. <laughs> I have oh,
2: learned. I, ma- <laughs> <laughs> I made bread last night. It was delicious. I,
1: yeah, that's like the. I feel like that's like hardcore quarantine that I need to get up to. I have learned to TikTok though with my my mentee, so I feel like I'm doing quarantine okay. But um, yeah, there, bread making, then I there are I'm reasons
0: doing. there's no flour in the store right now. And Elisa and I might be, you know, two of those reasons. Um, <laughs>
1: Why so, no, you uh, get tips from.
0: Yes. Hillary, how are you doing?
3: Doing okay. Um, you know, keeping as busy as possible and then some. Um, I have also not baked bread. So, big, big COVID failure there. Um, but Who I. Who are you guys? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not great. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm super worried about when we do have to go back to work because my dog is going to be really, really upset. But other than that, doing okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Well, let's um, kind of jump into some of the questions we have here. And um, Lindsay, um, or really for either one of you, however you want to take this, what are some of the specific ways the city is making sure that the response to COVID and, and coming out of COVID is inclusive to people with disabilities, physical and mental?
1: Absolutely. Um, I can get started a little bit. And then I guess Hillary and I will toss back and forth. But um, Great. we're really ensuring that our information gets out as quick as possible. Um, and for us, that means that it's not just speedy, but also we're taking it into account um, different needs and different ways that people interpret language, that people interpret um, news and so for us, first and foremost, we want to make sure that when we have press releases, we have um, ASL interpreters, when we do documents, we're translating in different languages. Um, Hilary and her team have been really, really critical in making sure that we have everything um, that the communities are requesting and obviously you know, this is everyone's first pandemic, and so we fumble, Um, but we've been really leaning on feedback from uh, folks within the community to make sure that if there is a particular style, particular, um, you know, additional resource that they need, that we're making that available and have been trying to be as flexible as possible, but also learning on our feet. Um, You know, the first even, you know, I'm the first one to kind of point out the city's mistakes in our first press release, our first presser that we had, we didn't have an ASL interpreter. And that, mm-hmm. you know, after we realized like what an egregious mistake that was, um, every, um, you know, live presser that we've had has had that. Um, and we've tried to, again, learn from our mistakes, uh, listen to the community uh, and make sure that as scary as these times are, folks are as informed as they can be with the new information that's getting out there.
0: Yeah, it is, Um, I, I, I think I might know an activist who was involved in um, pushing for sign language. <laughs> she might be on this call. She's not. <laughs> Elisa's just whistling a little bit. But, um, you know, and I, th- I think about that for our show, like, um, what do we need? How, how can we get to the most number of people, right? And um, we don't have ASL here, um, you know, but it, but it always is good, like, if somebody requested it, that we would know where to go and have the budget for it to employ it. Um, you know, and I've been looking at live transcriptions and that's like $300 a show actually um, from one company. So it, it is, it's so important. And, um, you know, another piece was we had a, a woman on, um, who was a lip reader and she was talking about, you know, some of the, um, the government officials or whatever, you know, and, and certainly health officials had masks on during press conferences and, and science, she doesn't know sign language. Um, so all those things are so important. And I, I know that we're all uh, learning and hopefully getting a little better all the time. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm wondering how that might affect, you know, moving forward, how the city thinks about um, making information more inclusive if you thought about that
1: at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to pass it over to Hillary. Hillary started, she's still fairly new to the team, but she's, you know, hit the ground running in terms of making sure that um, the way that we communicate uh, with the public is as equitable as possible. And she's been trying to deploy different types of technologies as well uh, to make sure that we're staying on the ball there. Hillary, do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. you? I would love to, Um, and
3: you can just cut me off when I'm, you know, rambling a little too much because this has become my number one passion project. Um, So accessibility means a lot of things, right? And my role with the city is about making sure we ensure Title II compliance. I'm not trying to be jargony, but um, what that basically means is making sure that all of our government programs are, you know, access to government programs and services are in place and are equitable. it's really important to me that we make the city the most accessible place that it can be. Um, and so I've kind of tried to strengthen some of our internal protocols and you know, some things that maybe needed a little shaping up um, and right now, you know where that may have been—you know, looking at curb cuts and things of that nature—it's just lightning fast. Become making sure that our communications are accessible. And so, one mm-hmm. thing that really concerns me is that uh, right now we really have to rely on private companies, right? Um, private companies, tech companies have kind of become the gatekeepers. Um, of information right now, and we're only as accessible as you know Zoom or you know Google Meet uh, or any of these platforms mm-hmm. will allow us to be. And so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one little voice, but most people are are very much on board. And the mayor's office has been extremely helpful and extremely amenable to me. Um, but we really need, you know, we need public support for that too. Um, we really need to make sure that. Um, you know we're, we're reaching out to these companies and saying like hey it's not okay that you charge extra to have closed captioning it's not okay that you um you know make sure that somebody has to be delegated to you know put the closed captioning in, especially for somebody you know something like a government entity we don't want any important information to be lost so these are the things i've run into and i wish i could say that i was shocked at some of the uh things that are not already included in these platforms but um i have faith that you know one silver lining of this whole crisis is that hopefully some of these private corporations are going to have to get whipped into shape really quickly.
0: Yeah. And you know, I I'm not exactly bragging but maybe a little bit. Um because I go to church at St. Mary on the Mount and uh one of our jobs was to you know or if you wanted a job to reach out to people who are over 80 and when I started calling, you know, I they were like, I heard there's a podcast, but you know, I don't know how to get a podcast. You know, I don't have a smartphone. I don't have a computer. So we set up, it was so easy. I I was part of a group that set up a phone call. So you can now phone in and listen to the podcast and get uh, weekly updates about the church. And I'm, I'm just like on fire about this idea. And uh, Rachel's giving me the um, silent hand clapping. Um, And I appreciate that. But I, I just, I'm still so on fire. I feel like this is my next mission, like to get everybody to do podcasts on this phones. This
4: is applause in the deaf community. <laughs> Little,
0: thanks, Rachel.
4: Great. And um, the other
3: challenge has been, you know, I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, you know, uh, as a local government entity to want everything to be perfect. And so another challenge is just really pushing the message that we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Like we have to do our best to get the information to people. And I think people will be forgiving, but we really need to make sure that we're doing all the things that we can. And we're pretty nimble. So I think, you know, we're getting there.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're not like the Catholic church. Sorry. That's a joke on my own church. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. So also We've been talking a little bit on our program about people with intellectual disabilities and you were different, you know, as we're talking about communication differences. um, You know, there have been social stories out there in terms of uh, that I are for people who have autism or some learning differences. um, Are you able to integrate any of that into your communications.
3: I am a huge uh, proponent of taking um, jargon <laughs> out of any, you know, any official communications. Um, Thank I you. Think that's something that we could do a lot better on. Yeah, when I was in grad school just a short uh, year and a half ago, I, um, that was one of my, you know, big presentations was about, you know, jargony language. I think that that's an unnecessary barrier, you know, no matter what your cognitive ability Um, and so, you know, I think that's something we could do better on. I will say right now, given the situation we're in, you know, we have many priorities and that's something, you know, I think we could definitely do better on.
0: Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, the, the different needs, um, physical, let's start with physical disabilities. Are, are there, um, ways that you are thinking about approaching physical disabilities and as, as people start to come back into the community?
1: I can take this one. I mean, like we've really been trying to slow opening Pittsburgh back up. Obviously we have our yellow light from the governor, but a yellow light um, pushes us uh, into opening up commerce a little bit more, but in terms of uh, people coming back into work, um, you know, increased public transportation, we're still trying to really ensure that we're able to um, uh, in- enforce social distancing and mitigate uh, the spread of COVID, even if we start to kind of open up commerce and other um, you know, pieces of our public life back up. And so as those conversations start to happen, uh, we've been working really close with the county, the URA, um, the housing authority, kind of all the big quasi-governmental entities within Pittsburgh to ensure that we're, Um, you know doing this as carefully as possible but also through that equity lens that um, you know we try to really hammer out um, within the mayor's office that we're thinking for every resident you know regardless of whatever you know kind of exceptionalities or um, you know what have you that they have that we're thinking about them and their ability um, you know to utilize these public spaces again to get back into the kind of normal uh quote unquote whatever that may be in the next six months
0: for us and i know um we have uh elisa and i have talked about she has um um immunocompromization that's completely the wrong phrase but I'm immunocompromised thank you and elisa you've mentioned you know having concerns about gosh if there's not a vaccine i might like not start to integrate until that happens, which could be, you know, months.
2: It, months or up to a year, you know, I'm I'm keenly aware of the fact that it will not be safe for me to go out until there's not just a vaccine, but enough people have been vaccinated to create this, you know, 70% herd immunity that the CDC has talked about. I guess the question in there is what's being done, you know, what considerations are in place for people who are unable, you know, due to health reasons to go back out into the world? So that's that's a big part of why I'm pushing to
3: make these digital platforms as accessible as possible. And I would like to have them be, you know, a supplement or a complement to um, all of our public meetings, our boards and commissions meetings, you know, because... I think it's probably been a little bit of a challenge for a while right there not everyone can come to a public meeting you know middle of the day end of the day people Mm -hmm. have kids there are a lot of equity lenses beyond just um you know mobility challenges and such and so I again I, I hate I'm not really a Pollyanna I'm actually a pretty cynical person but I'm trying to really see this as you know this is a this is an opportunity to get um, more representation a more representative or more representative lens um, in terms of the feedback that we get from the community so i my hope is that it increases program access for people with disabilities um, of course we do want to make sure that that's just an addition because um, there's an equity th- you know there's a whole equity lens that we need to apply to it in terms of low-income people too which also includes lots of people with disabilities there's a big overlap there um, not everybody has you know, broadband internet. And so we don't want to be doing just one or the other. Now, right now, obviously, you know, we're gonna have to do things just online, but um, we just wanna make sure that we're doing that. And I think that Lindsay's really passionate about that. I think you know, there are a lot of allies in the government that, that in our local government that really support that. So um, I'm just here to really be a bug in everybody's ear about that. I don't wanna have to fix it later. We wanna get the right platform right away.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say quickly, I I think that this pandemic has has really woken up a lot of private businesses on what the future of work looks like. So for a lot of businesses that, you know, um, have in the past mandated that people come in, they've been really stringent about their childcare policies, they're realizing that in order to keep workers... Um, you know, able to do their jobs, they're going to have to think more innovatively and more intentionally about what workers need to be successful, not just within, you know, you know, the nine to five workspace, but also, you know, how, what are the other systems that we rely on as employees that make us successful? So again, childcare has been a huge part of these conversations that I think private businesses have, you know, never really thought about. Um, even with reopening, um, Pittsburgh, you know, childcare had to be, you don't have reliable, you know, a, a you know, grandma well out down the street to come take care of your kid. Like it, you have to rely on, on, on these systems. You have to rely on, um, you know, quality transportation. You have to rely on healthcare that isn't dependent on your employer. And so it's, I, I think that out of all of this, if there is a bright spot, um, I think it's, it's laid bare, um. That we need to really rethink what the future of work looks like and and also how incredibly fragile our systems are that we rely on um, to get us, um, you know, here and there to um, You know, keep us employed, what have you, how fragile all of these systems are in the scheme of things.
3: Great. Go ahead, Hillary. Oh, sorry. I just just to piggyback on what Lindsay said is it's so right on because um, you know I think a lot of people uh, in, in you know the disability world are kind of looking at how all of a sudden everybody's allowed to work from home when before that might have been an artificial barrier, right? Um, for a lot of employers, uh, I think they're kind of looking around and going, you know, what the F? like I could have done this job from home easily, and now everyone can work from home, and so. Uh, um, you know, I don't really do a lot of Title I stuff, that's a whole different world, but that's some feedback that I've gotten, and so I, I totally agree with Lindsay, I think, um, that th- this whole idea that you have to be in a place and a time, and, you know, I think those are completely superficial, and I think we're coming to realize that.
0: Rachel, you know, uh, Ray, so we have, uh, I mentioned Rachel is here, she's the author of Instability in Six Colors, she teaches in the uh, psychology department of Duquesne, so she has a lot of, um, personal experience and educated, educational experience in um, mental health, which I think you wanted to add to the conversation?
4: Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of add this to the conversation. We're talking about um, access to employment and the kind of accommodations that we have for people, um, whether really they have a disability or not, how things are changing, Um, But I also think we really have to look at this, not just based on work itself, on clocking in and clocking out, um, but in addition to that, the fact that how we understand productivity and worth is going to drastically change, hopefully. Um, And so I think from an academic standpoint, this isn't just about your everyday salary, there's gonna be systemic um, scrutiny and hopefully changes when it comes to this idea of how we treat people and equate who they are to to what they do and the worth they have which is a really outdated terrible model that we have here um, that we really need to re-examine through the lens that of activism and advocacy as we're chatting about right now but making sure that we remember um that it's not just a localized issue that this is something that has a Greater impact, not just in the city of Pittsburgh, but you know, on a larger scale. So that's something that I always, with my students as well, talking about this idea of, you know, capitalism. And oh, I'm going to sound like a professor, so I'm going to stop <laughs> talking about capitalism very loudly. Uh, but again, this idea of who you are um, and the worth you have based on what you can do for someone else, which is usually a sticky wicket. So. And, and ableism is right there, just uh, hammering that point home, which is why we need to start talking about it and making some changes.
0: Thanks, Rachel. Does anybody want to, uh, Hillary or Lindsay? I could ask the next question if you.
3: No, I just I totally agree with that assessment. I mean, I think we lose a lot of human capital when we put all of these artificial restrictions on people, and I think, you know, hope I've I've reading about people putting, I mean, the city has not done this, but, you know, I've been reading about certain private entities putting these, you know, like bots on people's, I'm, I will show my technical incompetence here, but like bots on people's computers so that they can measure their productivity and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I, I just think it's really paternalistic and sad. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think hopefully what we can learn from this is that people can be trusted to, you know, perform at the same level or better when they're, you know, given the, the power to kind of determine that themselves.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank you. So, um, if we could just return to, well, we didn't really dive into it too much, but mental health. Um, I, am feeling as I'm going out, like so anxious. I I was just shaking today at the post office because some person was within six feet, you know, and I was like looking at her and, and I was like, there's, there's yellow tape over there. That's six feet. And she was like, what? I'm like, they have it. So we're still distant, you know, and I was just shaking and I, I see my anxiety just rising so much with this reintroduction. I see myself getting, so judgmental of, of how people are acting. And I am concerned for my own mental health and and those who have to be around me. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. What do you, like, even, I I hope she doesn't listen to this, but my favorite dress shop owner on Wood Street has decided she's going to, um, you know, like a lot of businesses take some private appointments. And I'm like, why does she have to do that? How many dresses does she think she's going to sell? You know, like, and just, and I love this person, you know, and I don't know what, what, what should I be doing for my mental health
1: I'm getting on the bus. I love getting on the bus, but I'm going to be mad. Help. I think uncle Pat takes me everywhere uh, around Pittsburgh, but
2: um, yeah, no, it's, it's a new, I keep saying. Pittsburghers not listening. Pat is port authority. Just, just putting that in there. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, <laughs>
1: Getting the very Pittsburgh uh, tunnel of thinking right now, but yeah, no, I, I completely understand. It's it's a new normal. It's um you know going to the grocery store gives you you know more heightened anxiety than before. Going out, being somewhere and in, in a crowd might you know have different um, elicit different feelings you know than it did before. And so what we try to do with the city is be really conscientious about. The groups uh, locally that have been, um, you know, even before COVID have been really trying to ensure that mental health is a part of the conversations that we have and that we have um, resources readily available to residents uh, for free. Um, You know, we're seeing more utilization even at the city of our um, um, uh, like teletherapy services um, because, you know, folks need it. Uh, We want to be able to ensure that. You know, no matter your situation, whether you're an essential worker, whether you're, you know, uh, sheltering in place, whether you're at home, you know, whatever kind of needs that you have um, in the mental health space are met. And so, um, I'm happy to supply some of the kind of local groups that deal with mental health, mental wellness, um, you know, to this group uh, and make sure that it's disseminated because it's important to take care of yourself. When I talk to my staff, it's you know always you know, how are you feeling? Uh, if you need, I get that we are in crisis mode, that your phone is ringing probably more than it ever has in your career. But if you need a day, if you need a week, if you need some time, like mm. please take time for yourself, be kind to yourself. Only you can tell, you know, only you know what you need. Um, and so, you know, pairing again, those, those professional services with also just as an employer, as a friend, as, you know, as um, you know, someone who cares about the people I work with, being sure that people know that they can take time um, and and take care of themselves is so, so critical.
4: Thanks, Rachel, I think wants to add. Yeah, and just in terms of everyday interactions, I found that the two things I say the most when I'm out in the world are uh, stay safe, and I like your mask. Those are kind of the two points that I lead with, um, and end with, and I found, again, this is, you know, study of one so <laughs> means nothing really. My anecdotal evidence, but just acknowledging the fact the world is a little ridiculous and mm-hmm. that we have to kind of adhere to some of these new, like we were saying, these kind of quote unquote new norms and these new safety practices. And I found that if you compliment somebody on their mask, it brings attention in a positive way. Um, and if there are people. Around who don't have one, it's not a shame based, you know, what are mm. you doing? Like, why are you mm. doing this? More just an acknowledgement of the people around you who are following the rules. And so, that for me actually has helped my mental health because it gives okay. me a little bit more sense of a control of being able to kind of interact with people in a, in, in a safe way, really. Right, I, I love
2: so much. I love so much how you put that, you know. In my neighborhood, almost nobody is wearing a mask, and it it actually stresses me out quite a bit. I can't even go on a walk around my block because it's not safe, because nobody's wearing a mask. And I I part of me wants to you know be that crotchety old person on my balcony shouting out the the Pittsburghism of "y'uns need educated a nat," but. Uh, for, for those of you not from Pittsburgh, it means that you need to be educated. Plural. And at. Uh, but, uh, you know, I love the idea of instead being able to shout out, that's a gorgeous mask, and hoping that other people hear it. That makes me feel better because that engenders such a good relationship with neighbors, too. So, actually, that makes me feel better, just the thought that I could go out and do that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I love it, too.
0: Three cheers for Dr. Yeah. Whitman.
2: <laughs> hip, hip, hooray.
0: Um, I am wondering, well, first of all, uh, back to Hillary over there. We, we haven't given her much time to talk here. <laughs> um, but I love that you're thinking about the task force meetings because that's something I have wanted to go to, one of the um, disability Task force meetings, the ADA task force. And every time I'm like, damn it, I just can't get over there, you know? And so I would love if I could jump in on that if it's online. I mean, I got to get there, obviously, at some point in person is the best. But um, yeah, if you open that up, I would be very grateful.
3: We would love to have you and you know that's been one of the big challenges and and I hate to harp on digital digital accessibility so Mm. much but you know the task force is comprised of an amazing group of advocates and individuals who you know have you know, there, I have a blind member, there's a deaf member, a deaf blind member, you know, a person with cognitive differing abilities, you know, it, it, trying to get a platform that it can accommodate um, all of these needs is, it's just even more challenging than you might imagine. But the good thing is that they're there. And so whatever we do pick, I, and no one's, I hope, going to be overlooked, right? Like we have a really good group of advocates who represent many different parts of the community, um, and so the hope is that when we are able to find something, even though it's been a while since we've been able to have a meeting, um, that it's going to cover all our bases, and we're going to do our best. I can't promise it's going to be perfect, but we're going to do our best. Well, we um, are
0: about at our time of, of the end of our podcast. I, I want to invite you to back, though, because we want to talk about how the city of Pittsburgh will honor the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is still this year, despite everything. And, um, yeah. So I hope you'll come back and we can continue the conversation. Absolutely. I would love to talk about that. Thanks everyone. And be gentle with yourselves.
4: Have a good one
2: a valid podcast is produced by unabridged press and created with support from the center for media innovation at point park university we are now on apple
4: podcasts so please listen and leave your feedback in a rating